Hey, it's Craig from Revolution Radio. This is just a reminder. Can you hit that subscribe button? That way you never miss a new episode of Canadian AF. And now, Revolution Radio and Canadian AF are proud to announce we are the newest members of a collective of some of the planet's greatest content creators on the new Cryer Media family. You can check out all the goodies that Cryer Media has to offer, including this podcast, at Cryer.co. Once again, that's C-R-I-E-R dot C-O. Thanks so much for listening to Revolution Radio, and enjoy this podcast. Like I've said once or twice before, you need some glow sticks for that intro. Man, oh man, oh man. I was dancing. I was dancing. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, friends. Welcome, one. Welcome, all. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Revolution Radio Canada, and this podcast is a thing that we call Canadian as fuck. My name is Craig G. uh, Alongside my man, Dimitri, I'd like to see you. And we've also got, of course, Derek. We'll be doing all of our introductions later on. But we have... Dave Bedini with us tonight. We have a Rio Static. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Thank you so much for joining for us. Uh, Dave, we really appreciate you being here tonight, my friend. Yeah, yeah, it's great. My pleasure. Thanks, We've guys. got a lot of stuff to talk to you about, so we're going to uh, we're going to get things going here. Dimitri, if you could do uh, an acknowledgement, please. Uh, Canadian as fuck would like to begin by acknowledging the indigenous peoples of all the lands that we are on today. While we meet tonight on a virtual platform, We would like to take a moment to acknowledge the importance of the lands we call home. We do this to reaffirm our commitment and responsibility in improving relationships between nations, to improving our own understanding of local indigenous peoples and cultures, and to try to move forward in a spirit of reconciliation and collaboration. Thanks, Dimitri. Greatly appreciate it, buddy. Um, Dimitri reached out to our friend, uh, good friend, Eric Alper, and managed to nail down this wicked 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 new friend of uh, canadian af so uh, dimitri take it away my friend let's, well uh, let's get things going yeah he's not just a rheostatic right he's a renaissance man okay because because the thing about dave bedini and and i've always been aware of this is like he's a he's a musician but he's also a writer like when i was when i was like 20 years old he had a column in the toronto star you know and uh and so he and he's been publishing books and and also he started a new he started a community newspaper that we're going to talk a lot about called the West End Phoenix that that is celebrating its seventh anniversary. And uh, yeah. And on October 5th, they have they have a fundraiser at Mildred's Temple Kitchen. And at that fundraiser is uh, Academy Award winning screenwriter and director Sarah Pauly. Ho- love hockey her. Hall of Fame, Hockey Hall of Famer Ken Dryden, and music by none other than Julian Taylor, and uh, yeah, and uh, but anyway, we're so we have a lot to talk to Dave Bedini, Dave Bedini about, but we will start off with a track by the Reostatics, and it's somewhat appropriate because none other than Tim Vesely is the distribution manager of the West End Phoenix. It's true. Yeah. Wow. So you've been, you've I'm been, boss. yeah. Wow. <laughs> Holy name I dropper. I love it. <laughs> um, Drop it names left, right and center. I love it, Dimitri. Mm-hmm. So uh, I wanted to, I wanted to start thing off with my favorite song, my favorite rheostatic song sung by Dave Bedini horses. And uh, it's, and I guess it's so 
do you have anything to do you have any memories about about this song yeah i do um i remember like you know just uh playing in b minor uh this was just you know you you're you're learning to be a songwriter and you know starting out as a songwriter you're it's you know major chords that you're able to you know uh, shape your fingers into without them hurting too much and then a window opens and you think ah there's a whole minor chord universe and mm-hmm. you know playing b minor um and i i, I remember like the me- when the melody came i thought it sounded like a gordon lightfoot song and not even really being a lightfoot fan at the time and anyways it just kind of it, it really emerged fully formed out of my imagination which is such a rare thing with a song right when it okay. just kind of finds you and it lands upon you and you know the story uh that i'd read that that day had been about um you know the gainers uh, meat packing plant strike um in edmonton just outside of edmonton um gainers was owned by peter pocklington who also owned the edmonton oilers and um it was a winter strike and you know scabs had taken over and running that factory in fact the strikers um they, they made um hot dogs and and, and just like, and processed meat at this place and the strikers wore um, buttons that said "Gainers makes wieners with scabs in them," which is, I think, oh. is one of the greatest all-time buttons. Um, but anyway, so I remember reading about them, you know, um, striking and um, you know uh, uh, being outside in the cold, fucking Alberta, you know, minus twenty-five weather uh, around bonfires, and none of them ever got the jobs back either. So I used that kind of that was the narrative, the, the story, and the, and the B minor chord. They all landed together, and I think we rehearsed that song. Might even have been that night, or maybe even the next day. And I remember playing it for the guys. And, anyways, everybody was so excited and loved it. And yeah, and, that's and it wasn't, was. and it wasn't too far into Joe Bowen's career. Like, no, it wasn't. You know, but I, I think like I've talked to Bowensy a little bit about that. But I'm pretty sure my inspiration for the chorus was the, the actual because the Tie Cats. That Thai cat chant is a real, you know, like work- yeah, uh, yeah. Holy Mackinac Tiger Cats eat them raw. It's a very working class, um, you know, um, chant, right? And you know, I was writing about, you know, this, the this, the narrative from the worker's perspective, so I thought that kind of fit in. And I often wonder whether it was Bonesy's call, but I don't really think it was, guys. Interesting. Like, yeah, but but and we've we have actually asked, we've wondered of each other who came first. I'm sure he did, but I don't think his call had taken on sort of the popularity at that time as it has since. There you have it, people. That's a story, man. Not it's even wicked. Dave Bedini knows. No. <laughs> so, I have my own song. I don't even know. <laughs> we are Canadian as fuck on Revolution Radio, and we have with us tonight a very awesome Renaissance man, Dave Bedini, Musician, writer, filmmaker, and publisher of community magazine West End Phoenix that is celebrating its seventh anniversary this week. And uh, you can celebrate with them on Thursday night at Mildred's Temple Kitchen in Toronto. Um, so as I said earlier, uh, also going also there that night is Sarah Polly, Ken Dryden, Julian Taylor providing music and the whole thing is emceed by the man we have with us tonight, Dave Bedini. Um, what? Uh, oh, go ahead. I feel a bit of a follow-up story to, to that song, if you don't mind. I um, Please do. The, 
I, that same like uh, apartment where I wrote that song, I was um, I was uh, supposed to be interviewing Neil Peart from Rush uh, for Sohan magazine, and um, I'd forgotten about the interview. <laughs> and um, it was Sunday morning, and uh, the phone rang, and I answered it, and it said it's Neil Peart from this calling from the Shadow Frontenac in Quebec City. I kind of pulled it together. And I, we had a conversation. I got my, you know, crude tape recorder set it up. And um, at the end of the interview, I said to him, um, uh, are there any bands you're listening to that you really like? And he said, yeah, there's this one band I really like from Etobicoke called The Rio Statics. Have you ever heard of them? <laughs> I was like, I'm in them. He was like, what? So we had this conversation, but he told me about how he was trying to lay a drum track down for um, a Rush song. In, in their new in their new recordings they're working on a record and he kept fucking up the drum piece because that song kept going through his head and he was like damn it so um he really and, and it's, he like broke down the lyrics to me but he also told me that on that tour he um would walk out of the uh, arena into a boxing into his boxing silks and he would oh. go, and he would go onto the bus and he would go to the back of the bus and he would sit in the back of the bus and he would play horses at like, you know, 10 out of 10 volume and just let the whole show, the experience of the show just drip away from him. And he would just, that was his decompression song for that tour. So, you yeah, know, those guys were such heroes of mine. And to hear that was incredible. That's got to be an awesome thing to find out. About. It was. If, if I may, if I may just interject here really quickly, Dimitri. So I was telling Dave, uh, just be the beginning of the program, I used to work at CFNY uh, back in the 2000s, and I used to produce for Dave Bookman. And I know that you know Bookie very, very well. And um, he, one of the things that there was two bands that we would play at the edge from time to time mm-hmm. that weren't in regular rotation, but Bookie would put in as often as he possibly could. One was Wilco, and the other one was Rio Statics. And every time he would ask me to play anything from you guys, he would literally stand up and do like his bookie bounce kind of thing behind the yep. computer. And he'd just dance in the entire, you know, for the entire song and sing all the lyrics at the top of his lungs. Anyways, he adored you guys. So, well, likewise, we um, met each other uh, for the first time uh, at the Hotel Isabella, I think in like 1986. And then we ended up um, going out to the world. Uh, uh, the Independent Music Festival in Calgary um, in uh, 1987, and we were out in Vancouver together. We never they were all there for the first time, a bunch of bands. And um, we actually did a radio show together on CIUT called High and Outside. Okay. It was a sports music show. And, yeah, that was booked the first time Dave was really on the radio. He'd done some college radio work together, um, uh, he, he does some college radio work in Ottawa when he went to school there, but this is his first kind of legit show. And we basically just kind of took what we talked about on the couch and they let us put it out on the radio. I had to go on tour. And so Bookman started don't look back from at CIUT. And then, yep. um, and then he went to the edge and the rest is history. But yeah, you know, like, uh, he was, we were right there together throughout our, you know, our awakening into music and our lives in music and stuff. So I miss him every day. I really do. Yeah, we, yeah, we all we do. All absolutely. Do. Yeah. We, I think you guys did the new music night quite a number of times, if I'm not mistaken. For, yeah, for I think him, I believe we did. Um, yeah, I don't think 
no, I don't think we ever did new music. Well, yeah, we actually, yeah, we dropped in. I think we were working in Don Kerr was our second drummer. And I think we did a show which we play, played a bunch of new material. But I remember we did uh, an Elma Combo thing with the Tea Party and Colin Linden. And Bookman came up on stage. He um, drove um, a, real, a small Toyota that was filled with cassettes. Like, you couldn't see out the windows. Like, there were cassettes everywhere. Anyways, he decided it was unhealthy to have so many cassettes. So he brought <laughs> two garbage bags filled with them to the Elmo on stage that night and then was throwing cassettes out into the crowd of people. Now, like, some of them were flying apart, so people were, like, getting hit in the eye. With that's like unhealthy. That's unhealthy. Uh, yeah, that's unhealthy, yeah. <laughs> that's rock and roll. It's rock and roll. <laughs> he thought it was a great idea. He got rid of the cassettes, but I think he took out an eye here and there. Fantastic. Good for you, Bookie. Yeah. Um, so later on tonight, we have um, we have an interview with a band called Eclecticus, and they just chimed in on the Twitch chat. Uh, we saw Rios a few times at Horseshoe. The fave concert was at Massey Hall when the power went out, and Martin sang unamplified, and everyone was unplugged. It was amazing. Do you have any remembrance of that? Yeah. Now, the, the power – well, so his pedals were, mess, were were vexing him the whole night. So that was just like we called an audible. We were like, let's just like unplug our stuff and sit on the because you can do that at Massey Hall, right? Um, sit on the edge of the stage and we sang Northern Wish. Yeah, I do remember that clearly. It was kind of it kind of saved the show, honestly, because the, there were so he was having so many issues with his pedals, and at the end of the day, you just kind of strip it back and just do it, you know in an intimate, just, you know, naked way. And um, I thought it ended up, yeah, it ended up being great. Yeah. Nice. I, I fell in love with you guys at another roadside attraction. Yeah, those are fun shows. Do, too. Do, do, would you maybe have a, a downy mem- memory you could you could share? Uh, so many, really, you know. Um, I remember we sang The Summer Side of Life uh, with them to close. I think that was the Mo- Molson Park, I think. Another roadside attraction was at Molson Park. Mm-hmm. And I remember, um, yeah, just looking at him, you know, I was on the left side. And he, he really, Gord really went into orbit when he performed. Yes. And looking to, into his eyes and not even seeing the human Gord in his eyes. <laughs> he yeah. was like, you know, the majestic nocturnal performing e- e- entity, right? And... Um, yeah, he 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 was like I said, like he would go into orbit and teleport himself into this um, thing that existed in the air in the moment, and it was almost unsettling, honestly, to kind of make eye contact with him on that level because I could tell he wasn't even recognizing me as another human being. It was really, <laughs> it was amazing. But just um, lost himself in the music. Truly, yeah, yeah. He does that he did that. But that there were also thing. times, though. There were also times like he would say to me. You know, do you know what it's like to be on stage thinking that this could be your last gig ever, ever with this band? And it was like, yeah, of course, uh, you know, um, because musicians think you, you experience that, right? Because when you're with, uh, you know, you with you're working with other people, you know, it's it can go to, you know, a lot of uncomfortable places because you're, you know, mm-hmm. so intimate in terms of sharing who you are through this art form. And um, so Gord, like, so Gord was also just such, such a raw nerve um, when it came to that, when it came to that kind of life and thinking about how he, 
you know, interacted with other people, um, it was hard for him. And imagine, and, you know, and being him too, um, not even within the band, but outside the band and, you know, seeing what he had to deal with, with fans and stuff too. And yeah. how he handled it really well, but it wasn't easy and it took a lot out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you, have, was, um, sure that. do you think you have a more rea- relaxed attitude towards that? Because you, because, okay, you did, you did a Rheostix out al- Rheostatics album just four years ago. Yeah. You also have the Bedini band and you have, so you have a, you have your finger in a bunch of different pies. So like so do you really worry about this is my last time with the Rio Stacks or are you comfortable that or are you confident that okay we'll be apart for a while but we'll come back and I then mean, the Dini band you'll be comfortable Yeah. For, yeah. No for sh- now for sure but in in the in the other you know in the earlier days when we were doing those big tours when we were always on the road and when we were, you know, putting out a record every year, that's when it was really tender. And that's when it was really, you know, um, you're learning about, you're learning your life as it's happening. Um, and now uh, that's one of the prerogatives of just sticking around for a long time. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. You can tend to take it a little less personally, you know, and it does kind of, it just sort of drips off you a little bit easier for sure. But a shitty gig is a shitty gig, right? And that's never going to change. Yeah. Um, but for sure, yeah. And especially having a, fa- having a family and stuff, too, goes a long way. Where I remember we were playing at Hillside. It was the 25th anniversary. And um, we were the headliners on Saturday. Broken Social Scene were the headliners on Sunday. And there was kind of a bit of a com- competitiveness between us. Like, they were this new thing. And we were used to be the thing. And all this. And, um, and they're amazing people uh, so many of them are now my friends but um so we really wanted to have a great show but um tim's bass amp fell over Ooh. um they had the dry ice machine um awkwardly placed that sounds like such a rock star thing to say but they did and whenever it came on it would engulf martin in this kind of fog this acrid fog very cool <laughs> that very was so cool. weird but he couldn't see really like he had to see and, <laughs> and breathe no, very spine very spinal tapish <laughs> totally it was not good yeah. and um so we played our set and um we were just like so crestfallen because we sucked and you know there was 10,000 people there, whatever. We didn't have a good game. I remember coming down the stairs and my daughter who just actually walked past me, it's about her. She came up to the stairs as I was coming down from the stage and she was crying. And I was like, oh, fuck. It, it, it was so bad. It affected this poor three-year-old <laughs> oh, girl. No. But she was just upset because they'd run out of soap and the, she was playing with the soap and the stand-up. <laughs> that's, what, that's what they care about. And I was like, that's put it all into perspective. Exactly. Oh man. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. True. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. So you would, you, is it fair to say that like your, your showbiz career sort of started when you were 11, when you got your poem about Eddie Shack published in the Toronto sun. That was huge, man. That was huge. I yeah, like, I got a free Toronto Sun T-shirt out of that deal, and it was like, <laughs> oh man, this entertainment thing, this this life in the arts is pretty good. You get free shirts. And so, <laughs> so you, so you like, did is that what you wanted to be when you were a kid, a writer? And did you yeah. even think about? Did you even think about anything else, like music or anything? Like music was a little bit later, but but yeah, it was like three or four years later. But yeah, I want to be a writer since I was like three. 
you know, books. Because when you're a young, young, young kid, like books are the first things that are yours, right? Mm-hmm. Like you keep them in your room and, and they're the first, so, um, and other voices, you know, like in your house, you're familiar, you know, the voices of your parents and your siblings, that's your world. And then these books, there's these other voices and you can communicate with them on that level, whole different level. So, yeah. So writing books for me, like my first book came out in 1998, but you know, all my life I'd wanted to have to publish a book, to write a book. Um, maybe even for sure, I think less so than making a record. Although that was huge too, but um, that was the writing came first for me for sure. Cool. I like that. I like that you're like the only Canadian quadruple threat. You have you've been nominated for you've been nominated for Gemini Awards, yeah. Genie Awards, the Juno Awards, and the 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 Canada Read Awards. Yeah, Canada Reads. Yeah, yeah. BBC. Like nobody else. No, no. So okay, not maybe maybe not. No, as far as I know, I don't think else, so. But. I don't think so though. I no? kind of did. I put that in my bio. I did. I did that. I did that math and realized I was the only one. Yeah. So. I just, just got to add some musical theater in there, and then it's like an Epcot or something. <laughs> and then right? you're and <laughs> that's right. Like, and then you and write then a musical. Yeah. Write a musical. Um, actually, well, I, I might talk to you about that. I've got one in okay. mind. But I mean, like Derek, like you know, um, it was such a revelation, you know, because you know when you're growing up, like you do those um, tests that are like. You did the test, and they tell you what you're supposed to be. Maybe you didn't have them when you went to school. No, I don't know. No, I did. Do I did. It's a I'm, I'm, counselor thing. I'm, it's Dave. I'm old as shit. I, okay. I, I, it, it right. doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't come across. But okay. I, I, I'm, I, I did those. I have had those. Right. Tests. Okay. Okay. Right. So that was like fuck. You know. I remember Tim Vesley. You mentioned him. It was like he was going to be like a chick. They said he should be a chick sexer, which is like what the fuck? You look. You know. You, Wow! Said, yeah, I, they, well, yeah. Oh, he scored oh, the one really low. He scored, re- yeah, I guess. Yes, yeah. that's right. Okay. he scored very low on those. Well, I remember anyway. watching. <laughs> I remember watching you guys at the horseshoe and looking at yeah. Tim, thinking, "You're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be sexing chickens." You know, exactly. Yeah, you know, right. um, <laughs> which is different. Was, it's a different term nowadays. I'm mm-hmm. sure. I'm sure. Well, the thing was, like, so that was a thing. You know, you you grow up, and it's like you're gonna you're gonna do that. You're gonna be that, and then. I guess at some point I sort of realized, oh, you kind of don't have to just be that. You can be that. And and if you love a bunch of different stuff and you like to do a few things, then that's okay too, right? And I, I think people like, you know, like Lenny Kay was Patti Smith's guitar player, but he also wrote for the New York Rocker. Mm-hmm. And so there were a few people kind of out there that did. Yeah. A bunch of different things, and that's that's yeah, where I got the impulse to just sort of try stuff, yeah. and um, and the challenge, there's, right? Of there's, trying there's, to get nothing, there's nothing wrong. Like, I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with changing your hat whenever you want, right? Like a lot of times, yeah. a lot of people are like, it becomes a facet of their identity. This is who I right. am. This is what I right. do. This is it. Right. Right. And if I can't do that, my God, I may explode. Right. Well, We're, and I, yeah, I even sorry, think like, sorry, Derek, I, I even think like, you know, um, to a fault in a way, because, and I think, think that actually has made it ultimately more interesting for me in terms of my life and art and music and entertainment in Canada, because it's, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a moving target. Um, and I think you do sacrifice a kind of popular appeal 
that way because it's a bit harder for people to kind of, where is he now? He's over there. Oh, I got to go over there. Okay, where is he now? Oh, I got. And that was the same. Same was true of, of the Rios too. You know, we had like four singers, three yeah. songwriters, mm-hmm. and shows I think were really interesting if you get people into the room because they'd see this living group of people who were doing all these different things. But um, in terms of like trying to understand the career, understand the sound, understand the approach, it was it was a little perplexing for people. Those that really tried to were were rewarded tenfold, yeah. but um, a lot of people don't. So and it's, yeah, it's and a lot. I, sorry, go ahead, Dimitri. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, I, no, but no. Uh, I uh, I'm thinking that probably like seven years ago, a lot of people thought, "What the hell are you doing starting a community newspaper?" Because like journalism is journalism is not in the healthiest place these days. So yeah. did, like. I guess you got a lot of like negative feedback or, or people doubting, doubting, doubting you. Um, no, I mean, I think people doubting me, that's, a, that's been part, just part of the landscape for a while, you know, from a lot of my life, but, um, no, in fact, I don't know. People didn't, I was surprised Dimitri by like, we went around and well, I did, I went around and knocked on doors, um, and sold 800 subscriptions before we, um, uh, ran our first edition and it was cool too because I was getting people and I'd never done this before but and a lot of it uh, is similar to like political canvassing right when you knock on doors and once you got someone beyond the threshold of their door frame like out under the porch you kind of had them and you were you, you know uh, they would tell you about themselves and it was neat for me because we were having conversations on their front porches about journalism and honestly like a couple of times I would knock on a door. I had like, these little Western Phoenix fridge magnets, but to give to people. But occasionally, I would knock on the door, and I would hear like, "It's the guy from the Rio Statics. <laughs> <laughs> what does he want?" And so, is he going to exactly. sing to us? <laughs> it was really very. It was very odd, but very lovely. And um, I just wanted to use my, you know my um, uh, civic appeal for good rather than evil ultimately, right? So, mm-hmm. um, but no, it was, and you know, so the community rallied around it immediately and they, we continued to ride them on the momentum of our subscribers and our supporters and stuff too. And, and seven years, it's crazy. But what was the impetus behind it? Like what made you, what made you feel that the West End Phoenix was something that was needed? Well, yeah, Metroland bought all the community newspapers about 15 years ago, and they fired yeah. everybody, and they became these glorified flyers, right? They tumble up on your porch, and they were fat with. You know, there's no content. It was yeah. all, you know, shoppers, drug marketing, the entire flyers, and so they, yeah, they used them as like third advertising windows and stuff. And I thought, what if something bounced up on your porch that you just couldn't wait to read? Like, if it, what if it was what it was what if it was beautifully written with amazing photographers and and illustrators and you really look forward to it and um gathered like 12 of my friends around the table in the backyard on my birthday 2015 i think and just sort of said what do you think and they were like and like a lot of good friends they were like go for it dave and so we did and we assembled a team and and uh and i worked out yeah wonderful yeah how often does the uh, west end phoenix come out we're about eight times a year okay but, you know, really, like, if people love music in particular, um, we do beautiful music stuff. Like, every summer we do this bound little book 
that our subscribers get. I wrote I wrote a pandemic uh, diary one year, and then we did like a new wave homage one year, and um, then I, I did summer record reviews last year. But um, we also have a musician comic memoirist every year. Alex Lifeson was our our comic memoirist the first year. Julian yeah, he's Taylor, a big supporter. He's ago. a big supporter he of is, the Western yeah. Phoenix. He is, yeah. yeah, he's a beautiful guy. Yeah, and Margaret Atwood wrote us our first check and. Anyways, it's been great, and but not necessarily those people because I know them. But we have a hundred delivering volunteers every issue that come and pick up their papers, and then head out into the community and deliver them to homes. And those are the people I never, I didn't know any of them before they came into our orbit. And um, that's a beautiful thing about. I'm sure you guys experience it too. You know, people come to the show, strangers that you didn't know before you started to do this. And the important thing is to do it right. Is to just do it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. My God, my friend, I would love between like the Rios and Bedini band and like all your writing and everything like that. I would love to. I would just kill to see your Rolodex. I really would. <laughs> I, bet just, I bet it has more names in it than probably. You said Rolodex. Do you know I what know. I mean? I know. Yeah, Seriously. I know. What? What is? What's that? Right. <laughs> so, Dave, what medium do you think fires you up the most? What? What? What medium? Do you oh, think fires you up the most? Oh, probably live music, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the greatest thing ever. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Well, I think, uh, and I think that, like, that's what, like, a lot of, how a lot of people found you in the first place. Yeah. For sure. 100%. Except for the people who read your poem about Eddie Shack. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> the young son, man. Track. Yeah. Um, that thing was great. So, yeah, we mentioned the Bedini band a bunch of times. Um, uh, how often do you play with them these days? Not often. Um, uh, Paul Linklater, our guitar player, has moved to Winnipeg, so he's not around. Um, it's sort of a once-a-year thing, really, at the moment. Um, we play every day at Hockey Day in Canada. We do the concert for, for that for that day, for yeah. that event. And that's always amazing. But that's pretty much it at the moment. Yeah, so Bedini Band is Don Kerr on drums, Paul Linklater on guitar, and Doug Friesen on bass. Um, so when you were writing... Do you pro- did you approach writing for the Bedini band with a different mindset than writing for the Rheostatics? Not really. I don't think so. No. I mean, sometimes with the Rios, I would write for other singers, but and Bedini band is pretty much just me. But um, and I played a lot of acoustic guitar in Bedini band. I like wanted to play like you know uh, acoustic bass songs the way that Who had acoustic bass songs or Small Faces or the Kinks. That was kind of the approach, okay. but. But no, you know, working with great musicians is working with great musicians at the end of the day. Yeah. And songs are songs. Oh, man. So, well, we're going we're gonna to throw to a Bedini band song very soon. But I just want to thank you so much for hanging out with us and, and answering all our questions. Um, My if pleasure. If you, it's, yeah. So people, out, people of the Internet, uh, October 5th, this Thursday... Mildred's Temple Kitchen. There's a fundraiser for the West End Phoenix. Uh, Sarah Polly is going to be there. Ken Dryden, Hall of, Hockey Hall of Famer, is going to be there. And Julian Taylor is going to provide the music. Um, wait, what's this? E- Eclecticus Band. I understand that the late Paul Quarrington saw Rios as his muse. Whale music of masterpiece. Yeah, Paul was our muse. But yeah, I, Absolutely. Like you named the album Whale Music. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. That's really nice to hear. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah. So, so come out, support, support an amazing uh, community newspaper, the West End Phoenix published by Dave Bedini. But uh, 
I, I chose this song. I chose the song to end the interview of uh, the land is wild because I remember I live in the, I live in the beaches mm-hmm. and there's a bar there called Castro's and, uh, yep. and the Bedini band played there rather frequently uh, until, until, until the neighbors started complaining about the volume. Yep. And, uh, which is love, which, sucked, yeah. which sucked yep. <laughs> because like like cat like you were easily like the most electric thing that ever that ever played inside castros castros has some great musicians but you guys are something special and um i loved it when you guys played this song um and uh so thank you very much dave bedini for hanging dave up. you're awesome cool. thank Thanks, you brother dave. like Likewise, honestly it's a pleasure like can seriously, brother, it was just yeah, it was so awesome to have you here. Can I ask sure. a question? I'm looking at this flyer. Oh, sorry, my bad, my bad. Hang on. That's all right. And Thanks. Here we go. Good job, Craig. After I just there gave you go. kudos about doing a good <laughs> job, going fucking shit the bed. That's um, right. What's an ex? Oh, experiential, experiential, experiential auction. What is an experiential well, we're not, auction? Well, we're not, we're not auctioning like stuff. We're auctioning um, palm reading by Margaret oh, Atwood. We're experiences, got it. Yeah, like a studio tour with Adam McGoyan, um, eight hours at Revolution Recordings. Um, mm. So, yeah, stuff like that. I'm you, sorry, a think... palm reading by Margaret Atwood? Yeah, she, palm reading she... for two. Do you yeah. believe... I'm there. Do you, do, you okay. think that Paul, do you think that Margaret Atwood is psychic? She does. She thinks she's psychic. <laughs> so, so, you know what? That's all that matters. Craziest thing. Did you see that thing that they they designed for her so that like it was it was revolutionary at the time? The long pen. That's right. The yeah. long pen thing. Yep. How fucking Amazing. cool was that? But that doesn't it's mean cool. she's Still psychic. That doesn't it's mean close. she's psychic, Derek. That's <laughs> it. Yeah. That's right. Uh, We'll give her the benefit of the doubt. That's right. Good call, Dave. Good call, call, my friend. Uh, Again, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, as I say, uh, October 5th, 7 p.m., Mildred's Temple Kitchen, 85 Hannah Avenue, uh, number 104. Tickets available at westandphoenix.com. So thank you again, Dave. Thanks so much, brother, for joining us tonight. We greatly appreciate it. Awesome. Anytime, guys. Hey listeners, I'm Christy, and I'm Melissa, and this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. 
And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.